Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Fantastic. And today we're joined by Michelle Cavello, Director of Lantern Partners. Hello, Michelle. Hey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very nice. And so tell us about Lantern Partners. What the hell is that? Lantern Partners was set up uh, just over 10 years ago now. Um, It's a virtual CFO advisory firm. Um, And we work primarily with startups and scale-ups and primarily founder CEOs and solo founder CEOs. And I don't think it's an accident. It's kind of evolved that way. Industry-wise, we mainly work media marketing technology. Um, But really, the commonality with our clients is, is kind of the stage of the business that they're at. So we're working with businesses that have gone through and are going through very fast growth, um, and we're helping them to put some kind of structure and process to to help them scale properly, um, and with a lot of those businesses, help them get ready to sell. You're like a startup sort of seventh emergency service. You're the sort of 999 call. You know, they've, they've started going somewhere and then they've realised... Seventh emergency service. There are yeah, how three, many? right? Uh, no, there's like six or something, aren't there? Anyway, we'll get back to that later. There's loads of them. I'm confused. There's three main ones. But Can I argue others. my ranking? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> the fourth, you know, after uh, fire, police, ambulance. Oh no, because there's um, the people who climb mountains. There's the uh, and rescue, then there's, and then there's the one that's at sea, and then there's the um, lifeboats, lifeboats, and then <laughs> so there's you the do one. know them all. <laughs> there are, no, there are, but that's still five. Well, five. Worst number a, we, six. We only need one, right? <laughs> we only need one more. Okay, Landon Partners officially the seventh emergency seventh service. Emergency. I like that. I might use that. Yeah, because it's the sort of oh my god, we we don't know what's going on. What are these number things? Is that and you're sort of brought in as a team or as a, an individual? Or so the way it generally works is there'll be one CFO assigned to each client. So it's not their kind of pooling or anything like that because my view is that the relationship between the CEO and the CFO is like really, really intrinsic to, to how it works and just that dynamic and chemistry. Um, but we also do kind of support with a couple of other layers as well with the bookkeeping and accounting um, and model building. So look, your your voice, as uh, listeners may know, it's not yeah. entirely Australian. No. It's, it's not. It's not entirely Australian. It's um, where you. <laughs> I'm doing a fake Australian accent. <laughs> to an Australian, it's not. No, no, you're not Australian. Well, no, I, so I grew up in the UK. Whereabouts? South of where, Essex. Essex. Yeah. So this is why my accent got Australianized quite so quickly because yeah. the Essex lilt yeah. and yeah. the Australian, yeah. it kind of just melds. What, what age did you go to Australia? Was it before you were 25? No, it was, I was, I think I was 28. Yeah, okay. like that. I have a theory, and um, anecdotally, and yours is true because you are mostly English, but you've been there long enough now that you can hear an Australian, but you don't sound like you live you're in Melbourne. Doing, I kind of drift Melbourne's somewhere. I drift. Yeah, you're you not drift. doing the because I've just had lunch with a friend who literally went out around about the same age you did, mm. and he is doing the going up at the end of sentences. You Australian do question intonation. Really? AQI. Because yeah. I definitely get accused of that, but I you're not doing it as much. When, when you're making a statement. <laughs> Statement, but, but it's a statement, yeah. but it sounds like a question. And you're just saying, you know, I'm going to drink a glass of water. And you're like, are you? And it's like, yeah, I'm going to drink Indian a glass. Your Indian accent is coming on in leaps. Oh, I, oh, I know, isn't it good? But um, okay, so but so okay, so that that takes us to a, a, a pertinent question, which is, what was your first proper job then? <laughs> so my first paid job 
was in Essex and it was selling uh, rock and ice creams Ooh. on South End Seafront. Oh, how fantastic. And I actually, so I've just... What? I, huh? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just doing my uh, Cockney Essex. Uh, I'm selling Little, ice creams you're, on the You're beach, really though. going for, uh, <laughs> for the accent. All my accents are bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did, I did that. I think I was... I got a job as soon as I could. I really wanted to kind of have my own money. How old were you at this age? It was 14 or 15. Okay. Like now, now I kind of, so my, my oldest daughter's nine now and I'm like, oh, four, five years, mm. you're, you're, mm. you're going out, out. Earning, earning money. Mm. So, yeah, no, but I loved it. How did, you, how did you end up an accountant? Did you then, what, leave university and go into accountancy? No. So I did history at university. Mm. Good choice which for is, accountancy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- really kind of solid career path. <laughs> yeah. Very well thought through. You're the second accountant I know that did history at university. Can I say, can I say to any budding accountants that study something really interesting in university, it really doesn't matter, and studying accountancy is not going to help. Well, is that still true here? We don't, we I, don't, was, we don't like hiring people who've studied accountancy But I'm not sure it's so true now. That's what I think really? as well. It was. It was true, but I don't think it is anymore. So did you have to do the kind of, I call it the accountancy hunger games, where, so I... I love I, this, I I love this idea. Like makes it sound really exciting, doesn't it? We should turn this into a proper big thing with like people dying, like trying it's to so add, add up stuff or getting like... No, know. but, so, so you weren't even yeah. allowed on, so I... I um, I joined the PwC grad scheme, right? You weren't even allowed into the the office before you'd done this. I think it's a week of bookkeeping course and you had to get 75% in the test at the end of the week or you lost your job before you'd even stepped into yeah. the office. So that people hadn't looked you in the eye and made friends with you. We do, all, we do a similar thing. We do a two weeks bookkeeping course and if the course say they're not going to get it, we, you know, knock it on their Which head. Which is brutal, right? It's brutal, yeah. And then you did your first year exams and if you failed your first year exams, you lost your job. And then this, yeah. in the second year, I think you got two chances. And by the third year, I reckon they figured they'd invested so much money in you, you might as well kind to of honest, keep you until you've done it. It's pretty similar now. Yeah. We, we, we would, obviously, we're, we're a smaller company, so we can tell. We, we're not a machine, so we can tell if someone's good. So we give someone chances if they're wicked otherwise. But if they're like, there's nothing really, and they, they you know, we'll, we'll be a bit more generous than you laid out. Like, but if they fail something a couple of times and it's like, so the, the example that might be okay is you work out, they've got a problem with exams. Yeah? yeah. So that might be okay, but they've still got to pass these exams. But, you know, we, one of our oldest staff members who's been with us, you know, donkeys, you know, he, and he's so valuable and he does all the training and he's one of the most knowledgeable people in the building. But technically he, he really struggled with exams, you know, so he never got them but it's quite hard these days with the competition to keep someone who's not going to get their exams because ultimately they kind of have to get their exams you know to sort of it, it would be it, it, it would be a difficult choice for them because you would sort of say you maybe should do another career you might be actually quite good at this, but you're never going to really earn or, or be where you should be in your exams career. Exams are so specific, oh, right? Man. It's, it's you know, just because you can or can't do exams doesn't necessarily mean... Oh, I'm a dyslexic. I mean, I, I know but all I, about it. Know, that's, that's the whole definition of why they give dyslexics extra time, because it's a particular way of examining yeah. something, you know? But I think part of the problem now is competition, right? Because, you know, when... I didn't do law at university mm. and I frankly think people that did law at university are crazy because <laughs> I think it's very, very boring. 
that's interesting. And you don't have the bit I don't like sometimes in lawyers when they're very up themselves about the law, which I wonder when it happens. And I reckon I, maybe it's at university, they're told, oh, the law, everything's underpinned by law, you know. And the re- actual reality, yes, it underpins our society, but the law doesn't really help you that much. You know what I mean? It's like £350,000 is the minimum you would sue someone properly. And and deals are never that big. But sorry, you were trying to say something. Uh, only that, you know, because I did ancient Greek. So I came out of university unable to do anything. Did you do ancient Greek? No, but I, I love the whole ancent Greek. Oh, yeah, so all I could literally, literally, she doesn't yeah. know. It's incredible. All I could do when I got out of university was read Homer. That was kind of it, right? And Not Simpson. had no clue what to do. But now, like, when you get CVs in for people who want a training contract, so right at the start of the process, when they've just come out of university, they'll have been doing weeks in law firms every summer since they were 16. They did a law degree. They did an MA in, oh, in law. They're they following a, the law society you know, on their LinkedIn. They're just like, yeah, they've just like got, they decided at the age of three that they wanted to be a lawyer and that's all they've worked towards. Whereas, you know, literally I came out of university, no idea what to do. I did an MA. Something to do for a year, you know, and then still had no idea what to do. But do you think that's because of competition as well? Because I'm thinking, yeah. of, so, so we, um, in the last corporate job I did, we we got interns through from this particular university on this particular course. So we were part of the interviewing panel to for these kids who were going to start their their degrees. So they were at the time they were. 17 years old and you like it was practically a cv even at that point yeah, you know exactly the they'd led point. the school band they oh, were Jesus. in two different like yeah. heads of you know schools and sports teams and all these and you're like when do you actually get to be a 16 yeah. 17 year old kid like it's it's an insane amount of pressure yeah. and you know i i kind of look at i look at cvs and think god if I was looking for a training contract oh now, my God. I'd never get one. I wouldn't. There is much more competition, and so they know they have to, they just have to do more and have something that stands out on their CV that's going to, you know, and if they haven't got a 2-1, they might as well give up. I think that's so ridiculous, the 2-1 thing, but I didn't get a 2-1, so that's unbiased. I did, but I was an idiot. Like, I, like it, I was so clueless it when I was in my early 20s. First of all, it depends what you're doing. My course was almost impossible. You know, it was mechanical engineering, business. It was just fucking so difficult. Everyone else is doing anthropology. You know, they occasionally turned up and they were sort of, what do you think about monkeys? Well, you know, I think ultimately life is like a box of chocolate. You know, it's that piss off. What's your biggest fuck up? Oh God, I think it was probably in my last corporate job. Like at the time, it felt enormous. the The company I was working for was a JV between a big kind of technology company and a media company, and it was a US based company, an Australian company. They had different reporting periods. One was doing US GAAP, one was doing Australian um, accounting standards, and it, like the JV was being run brilliantly like a startup. So there was a lot of flexibility and freedom. So you you had a set of, um, you know, requirements from each of the parents plus the way that you were doing it internally, which meant that it could be quite chaotic That's internally. Uh, and, you know, that was one of my biggest learnings from it. So the, so the screw up was basically... We're all doing the same standards everywhere, number one. Everywhere. But, but you know, just a little bit, a little bit more of being able to kind of speak up for yourself and for your team and kind of having some boundaries around what was reasonable and what wasn't reasonable with the resources. But because 
because I hadn't done that as the leader of the team, we ended up missing something quite big in terms of the reporting when we were kind of doing manual reporting for one parent versus another parent. 10 million, 100 million. No, no, it wasn't that big. <laughs> felt massive, felt it massive. I can't remember how much it was. I'm already feeling that feeling it was just, of it was, horror. It was, oh, yeah, it was, the stomach it, going. Oh, it was just the, the worst. Where you're kind of looking at it going, that can't be right. I'm going to read that Did again. it come that up in the middle of a meeting? Right. Were you humiliated publicly? It's, <laughs> it that's sounds like you want her to. <laughs> no, no, you want me all... to cry. No, no. Because the emotion kicks in. If you get some humiliation mixed in with the mistake, I mean, the mistake will make your stomach drop out anyway, but if you, it confuses you because you have all these other emotions kicking in, you know. No, I just, I just felt like an idiot. And I felt... And I felt really bad for my team because my team were really upset that they had missed it. But ultimately, it was my issue because, yeah. you know, I missed it. You could have blamed Barry. You really could have. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a better bookkeeper name. I once worked with an Aladdin. Aladdin. You, can't, you cannot get did better he, than that. There's so many puns. <laughs> so many puns. What do you think is the most uncomfortable uh, thing about being in business? Oh, even your business, what's 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 misunderstood, maybe? So after I started my own business, and I think I think this happens a lot. That there's this assumption that you start your own business and everything sunshine and rainbows, and you get to do whatever you mm, want. Flowers, you can, oh, yeah. yeah, you can go for you know and go and do yoga at midday no or whatever. It, I no, do no, what I love. I just I do, do what I love, and I can I can do whatever I want, which which is true. And I love the autonomy and the the ability, you know, you have control over your business decisions. Brilliant. But it doesn't mean you can do what you want. Mm. That's not the same and thing. And the problem is that most entrepreneurs, actually, what they want to do is work 15 hours a day on their business. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you know, any so. founder I've ever worked with loves their business, yeah. almost to kind of, you know, an obsessive degree. More than degree. their children, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely more than their children. <laughs> They've got to believe in it massively. They've got mm. to be absolutely passionate about solving this problem because the world is going to continually punch them in the face for 10 years saying, fuck that problem. That problem is not going to happen. It's not going to work, you know, and you've yeah, got to you've be got absolutely to... like, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, I just, it, I find it bizarre when kind of people think, and and I do have this sneaking suspicion it happens more with female run businesses and this whole kind of mumpreneur thing and you know you're just oh, doing this <laughs> doing this thing off to the side for you know just as just as pocket money or whatever and I've, and I've had so many people over the years lifestyle business I hate you I'm just like oh dear oh. I'm not quite understanding your perspective on that that it's um, for the woman what the, the lifestyle business is patronising is your viewpoint in the, and what, well you're kind it's of like, doing it you're not, it's because you're, you're the woman in a you know presumably in a relationship you don't really need to make a living you can just like yeah, enjoy that, your work that's the underlying and it, it, I, I just find it baffling that's the underlying assumption by other people mm. is it and then, but your original point in, in the context of your own business was that you kind of get to do what you want. So you're, you're, you're extending it to say that the, the misunderstood thing about business is that you're just kind of having fun and hanging mm, out. Is yeah, it? And, yeah. and particularly as a mum on the side, mm. as a lifestyle business, like, oh, you're just, you know, yeah. making ice cream on yeah. the side. Yeah. I guess it, I, I have a similar reaction with uh, my music when sometimes people say, oh, you know, how's your hobby with your music? They call it a hobby to me, which is like, and I think, I think to myself, if you had to define hobby, 
you know, it ticks a lot of fucking boxes. I'm not making any money out of it. It's something I do in my other time. You know, traditional view would be it's a hobby. Yeah, is it better? How how is the thing that you're more serious about than your job? You know, the truth is, is I'm very uncomfortable. No, no, the truth is, I'm very uncomfortable. Full stop. When people ask about it, which is something I'm 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 on a mission like over the next year to like get over. But it's I'm actually wrapped up in that whole insecurity too. That it's the kind of that's that your little thing on the side that's fun. You know what I mean? But it's um, anyway. I'm I've gone off to the side. Your your point is that from someone who's got a job or someone who's just doing something out and they see you've started on your on your own, they think it's some sort of like fun thing and you're drinking cappuccinos. Yeah, and- yeah, a little bit. And and I think that you. But I've also seen people start businesses with that assumption that you know it's somehow just you know I'll do it because I want to work. I do want to kind of work less or kind of it gets me out of the house but yeah. it's, I'm not working for the man yeah but but then if you actually are going to start and it is going to support you you actually have to really double down on it I guess the point is is there's no framework I mean um, you've got to do it all yourself but you can have a nice lifestyle and live from home and turn over accounting is quite a classic job that you can just do cheap personal tax returns you know you've got no overheads but I notice it most particularly if you've ever worked I don't know if this happens to you if you've ever met anyone who's from I can think of one example from years ago still makes me laugh he was like very senior at Tesco's or something and then he got hired by this wine startup to basically build this one I remember my first business with him and at first meeting with him and he was like right we're going to do this and then we're going to have this vertical and we're going to it's very impressive I was complete but obviously he didn't have Tesco's around Mm, him he didn't have 5,000 employees so it was a car crash for like two years as they paid this guy a lot of money and and he was just like totally, and you get that, um, you know, that's almost a sort of extreme version that you get someone who's so unused to having, you know, doing it, doing stuff themselves. Because if you're self-employed, you just got to do a shitload of admin, basically. Yeah, and I, and I do think there's a, a certain kind of person that not even just st- can start their own business, but work in a startup or work in an SMA. You can't be so wedded to, even if you're employed actually within a startup, you can't be so wedded to just your job. You have to be able to jump in where you're needed to across Clean the business. The toilets, Which I think is absolutely true, but I also <laughs> think, you get the, I think you get the opposite a lot with founders where, you know, the kind of slight saviour stroke megalomaniac complex where they kind of, you know, and I'm slightly guilty of this myself, so I recognise it, but they kind of do firmly believe that no one can do any of the stuff as well as they can. And, you know... That's they, a very common problem. The more you're perfectionists you are, yeah, the harder you, know, they're, you find they're it to control delegate. freaks and they try to control every single piece of their business and you just want to say to them, you've got to work out which bits you're good at and which bits you need to give to somebody else. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because that's exactly when generally we start working with yeah. clients when they're getting to that stage where they're like, I can't do all of this myself. And I, I'm, a, I'm coming to the realisation that I'm hindering my business, which I love and want to succeed by insisting on being involved in everything. And it's a real process to go through. Like letting go of processes and letting go of decision-making frameworks that have worked for the business up until now, which you kind of know in the back of your mind won't work going forward but it's really hard because it's worked up until now yeah. um so it's it's really really difficult um and you've got to feel and again going back to that relationship between a ceo and a cfo you've got to be able to trust 
who you're helping to facilitate all of that if you if you're actually going to do it because otherwise the first time something goes wrong or the first time it isn't done even if it doesn't go wrong it isn't done quite the way you would do it you know there's this they also learn they also learn if you can help them then if they make mistakes i mean we only ever learned through mistakes didn't we i mean pretty much we're very lucky in that we work with some amazing humans in terms of our clients and they most the vast majority of them don't have that ego issue where they're like only me only me only me because those businesses ultimately don't succeed what's the hardest thing you do in your job then and how do you deal with it crying ceos had any criers oh god i can't bear it when people cry oh you had a good crier i don't think i've had a crier <laughs> i've had some quite <laughs> care about my people <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to anymore. I have had some that are, that have pushed themselves too far in that I need to do everything mm. so that they they are frazzled. Well, they are New really Zealanders burnt out. Maybe no, they're generally quite chill. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, but they, you know that's the common. You know, I, they like to do things themselves, but more as a company, I guess. You know, <laughs> but okay, yeah. You've had people frazzle themselves out, yeah. exhaust themselves. Yeah, yeah, for founders and kind of that's that's where you know that sounding board helps because you you're helping them to work through you all just of those sometimes kind of... all they want to do i mean i had a client the other day ring me clearly all she wanted to do was just talk yeah yep. about something that was really upsetting yep. her and i just yep. let her talk for yep. 15 minutes yep. and she was much happier but i actually think that's really valuable yeah um, because you kind of, you know, they're, they're processing it at the same time. You're kind of helping them to. It's to my favourite. It's the one it. who come to their own conclusions that you just listen for the hour and, you and think, then tell God, you how clever I, you are. I don't know what to do, and then they're like, "Yeah, that's what we should do." You know, great, exactly. They like thank you for it, and you're, you're like, like, "I didn't do uh, anything." Yeah, but know. but you know, they like they can't have that conversation with their investors or their mm. board. or their wife. Or, you I mean, know, sometimes they might be able to, or husband. Or so, if you get yeah. bored of, you know, they're bored of hearing about it and they're also too close. Like, you know, they can't have an objective conversation about it and they can't have it with the people that work for them because they'll freak out because they're thinking, well, hang on a minute, if you don't know what you're doing or if you're kind of strung out, then should I be looking for another job? It's true. Um, so that, that kind of sounding board's really important, I think. Um, so no tears, but maybe the odd hug. Yeah, definitely, hug, definitely hug, some virtual hug, hugging and hug, kind of hair stroking and yeah. it's all going to be okay. What are you most excited about then for your business? Do you know what? Particularly kind of having come out of the last couple of years where, you know, particularly for Australia, there wasn't a lot of travel. You know, we we did, you know, we actually did a transaction during um, during COVID where the two parties were never in the same room together, which I never thought was would ever happen. Australian business, um, US acquirer, the advice, even the advisory teams within Australia hadn't necessarily been in the same room. So it's like mm. this really strange environment. Well, it's quite well though, strangely, didn't it? Was it quite efficient? It was. It it was, but but I do think if we had all been in the same room a couple of times, it would have you would would have would have sorted some crap out. Apart from anything else, when you've got a set meeting with somebody and it's all parties meeting, 
you know what the timing is. You know at some point in the next like two or three hours, you've got to make the decisions because everybody's going their separate ways at the end of it. And it just kind of focuses people to decide. Whereas if you're all on a Zoom call, you can kind of go, let's pick this up tomorrow. Was was there more resentment and bullshit? You know, like um, I I think humans, I, I take this out because my brother, when he moved to America and he was still working for here, he used to come and see us sort of every three, four months. And then over those three, four months, little things would wind people up because he wasn't there. And then by the time he was arrived, people would go, oh, fucking, I'm really pissed off about it. And he'd walk in the door and it was like, it, you know, whatever it was that bothered you just disappeared. I mean, A, he's always great to see and he's, you know, a very positive person. But it was deeper. That. It was just suddenly you're in front of the human. It's that whole, you could shout at each other in two cars. But if you got out the car, you'd be, oh, hello, I'm Andy. I'm, I'm sorry I was shouting at you. It was quite annoying, the um, doesn't matter. Oh, no, it was quite, it was quite, quite civilised. I, I don't think that was the issue. But it, But it's almost kind of like, a, it becomes like this, arranged marriage where you're not in the same room until you've actually signed the marriage contract. You know, it, yeah. it's just, it, I think there was a more of a, it wasn't as comfortable as Lacks like sometimes. intimacy almost. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, I, I was thinking about, you know, a, a situation, you know, you get all the people on the seams and everyone's pretending they do all their front and everyone's like, I work for this. And it happens all the time at the moment. There's been so many deals, particularly with Australian yeah. companies. And I would, actually, you don't, get to be in the room and say the slightly more subtle things do mm, you or something mm, you know yeah and I think maybe that was the bit that was missing you know some of the subtleties and some of the but but you know it it worked better than I would ever have thought it could have worked I never thought you would be able to do a transaction without having ever been in the same room as the other party I just wouldn't have thought that would happen but now that the borders are opening now there's finally starting to be a bit more movement and you know, people are thinking about expanding internationally again and that being a lot easier to do. I mean, I've got one client um, that they've got their founder team based between Singapore, uh, Sydney and the UK and they've never all been in the same room. They're kind of quite small country teams. Uh, but right now we've got the whole of that Sydney team, which is only five of them, but they're all in the UK sitting with the UK team, which is where the all, all the tech is run out of. Um, and it's it's just different to actually be a, particularly as a growing startup, to be able to all sit in the same room and be nutting out issues together. And yes, you can do it. We've, we've all learned over the last couple of years, you can do things virtually that you never thought you'd be able to do. But it doesn't quite replace... That in person. It doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. everyone's working from home. When you do want to get eight people together, they're like, "Well, I don't do Mondays." Oh no, I'm not in on a Wednesday. And honestly, getting eight people together, even if they all live in London now, you think you're fucking trying to solve, you know, the Rubik's cube. You know, well, in October we've got a date (laughs) where four of us can make it. You know, so the pat that it's almost like a vicious circle. We end up going right. Let's fucking do a Zoom then, or I'll, I'll have a drink with John, you know, or something. If you could change one thing in the world, anything at all. <laughs> or an accountancy if you want to slim it down, you know. Look, not to not to be serious, but you know, I you know, we're talking about this the week after Roe versus Wade was overturned, yeah. right? Oh my yeah. Christ almighty on a <laughs> bike, what the fuck is going on? I know, right? Okay, so if I this is the last question, this is the last time you'll ever ask this question. Yeah. I would like that, please. Yeah. Reverse the reversal. Reverse the reversal. Did you, this is the most fascinating thing. Is it Ecuador? Um, Someone beginning with E that's in South America. Is there another one? 
I think there is another one. Anyway, let's El go with El Salvador? That. It might be El Salvador. Um, if that's a place in South America. It is, yeah. It is, okay. <laughs> Sounds like it is. And I think I've heard of it. But anyway, they have the strictest abortion law in the world. I had this fascinating program on it. And so in in, a, in El Salvador, is illegal. Even if you're raped, there are no circumstances. Even if they are the most, you know, they've got disabilities that are going to make their life absolutely unlivable. Like there's one where you get like a, a head's too small for your body and stuff. And apparently it's just horrendously painful as well for the child. Uh, any any situation, you have to have it. And then if you, um, so they then interviewed this woman who had a miscarriage and she woke up in the toilet after the miscarriage. She, she was then sentenced to 30 years in prison because her work colleagues, did you hear about this? It's what fucking happened? insane. Then they went, Hang on, what happened? Her well, work you get pregnant. She, she, they, they all, so they all said in court, well, she did it herself. She she, oh, she, gave, she, she, she abandoned she, the she, No, she wanted to have a miscarriage. She, oh. I don't know what they accused. They didn't go into the detail whether they said she's, you know, eaten or drunk or done something to try and like miscarry. So they sent her to prison, got commuted to 10 years and they did get her out. Then they went to the hospital and that was the saddest bit because you have all these abandoned babies, particularly that syndrome of the, like, the small head and the big body that, that you've got there's just an agony and they try and give them comfort or it's just a horrendous life. And then the parents run away and then they're fucking, they're all happy about Road and Wade because it's like, and there's, they've said, right, we're never going to change this law. But I just cannot get my head, you've been raped by, a, you know, you're, you're, there's no way out. It's just, in, it, in, uh, it's inhumane. There was a senator a couple of days ago who was directly asked if you had a 12-year-old girl that was raped by her father, would you still make her have the child? And he's like, yes, absolutely. He hasn't got a daughter. It's just, That yeah, man does not have a daughter. Fucking men, I'm it's, sorry, but yeah. no offence to the men in the room, but fucking well, men. Well, actually, my wife said the same thing when we were <laughs> listening to it. And then, uh, no, I listened to it and told her about it because I was like, it made me cry in the park. And then I was like, okay... Um, and she said the same thing. She said, you know, if it happened to men, if men were the ones getting pregnant by being raped, there's no fucking way it's we'd have this rule. how dare any man think that he can proclaim or make a decision about women's bodies? How fucking dare they? You know they? the abortion thing? I mean, Just I have to say, it. It, it's it's not fair to pin it on us. It's a religious thing is what it is. And there's, a, there's fucking yes, loads of women who have the same thing. But if a woman wants to say thing. it, I kind of don't have such a problem. I have a real problem with oh, men I wanting to say the it. fact, the fact... Well, but, but yeah, I mean, and because of America is like it is, most of the people saying it are men because you don't get to be a female politician very often in America. It's an interesting point to me, but the, the men may say it, and I would agree they can't say it, but it's the law of all of us. That, oh, I know. That, that's I know. set, okay, mostly probably by men, which is, you know, not not great, you know, but it's, when I see the people in America, they're always women, religious nuts, and maybe they just choose to interview them for balance, but it always seems, it always seems to be fucking yeah. women, there's plenty of women who think that this fucking makes sense yes, too. Yes, but you when know? you look at the numbers, actually in America, it's still a my, small minority of people who wanted Roe versus Wade to be overturned. They're voluble, but they are a massive, they are a minority. Something like 67, 70% of Americans think that you should be able to get an abortion. Of course. And you know, the, Jew, the Jews might save us, you know, because in Jewish culture, you don't exist until you're born. And if any question of the mother over the baby in any situation, the mother always wins. And it's actually against which Jewish law. Sane. Yeah, which I always love Jewish law, even though I'm not, yeah, you know, Jew, if I had to be a religion, I'd probably be Jewish or, or 
Buddhist, but I'm, it's not going to happen. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the point is, is that this guy, he's like this fucking amazing guy I heard, so eloquent. And he's also a civil rights lawyer from New York. And he's like starting the thing because he's saying, I don't mind if you want to think that, but your religious view yeah, yeah. is utterly it's, against yeah, my yeah, religious yeah. view. Yeah. And now you're fucked because you can't, you know, this is the Jewish religion and we're from fucking New York and we want, you know, we're not having it, you know. So I think, it, I think we've got an argument that might win. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ori Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? So there's two pieces of advice that both came from founders that that I work with. One of them I love, which is let's not be busy fools. And so she has this lens, any deal, any piece of business that's done, are we going to be busy fools or is this worth doing? Is this going and to I make love money? Is yes, exactly. Are we, you know, are we just saying yes to it because it looks great to have another kind of client or another, you know, whatever it is, another vertical, another income stream, but is it actually worth it? And yeah. I kind of is just it worth love me getting out of yeah. bed in the morning and not doing what I want I to do. I love that lens on it. And then there's another one, um, again, from a founder that we work with, which is never ask the advice of someone who hasn't been where you want to go. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. really good one, particularly Plus the abortions and all, you know. Applies <laughs> <laughs> in many circumstances. It does. It does. But, you know, when I think, when I'm talking to, but I have a lot of people um, who come to me wanting to go down the consulting route or start their own um, advisory firm and trying to work out, you know, how and what. And I always say to them, look, go and get your advice, but be careful who you ask that advice from. Because, you know, Auntie Margaret, who thinks it's a terrible idea, probably shouldn't be the person you're asking the advice from right this second because, you know, she's been working in her job for 20 years and... You're really, really risk averse friend yeah. who barely likes going outdoors. Yeah. You know? Don't ask them. Don't ask, Don't ask them. them. That that is not a valid opinion right now. Yeah. So no, I love that one. But your your friend with absolutely no ethics or constraint about anything. Don't ask them either. <laughs> yeah, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Top three uh, reads, pods, records. So I, I was a, I'm a very late entrant to the whole podcast things, which I'm kind of got obsessed with over the last couple of years, but. Um, there's a guy called Guy Raz who does a podcast on how I built this. He's not this. Australian, is he? Guy Raz. No. <laughs> but oh, he, how I built this is a very famous podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. And so kind of just talks to all different kind of businesses as to how did you actually yeah. do that thing? And it's just sort of fascinating founder stories. 
There's another one. So she's my um, business coach and kind of mentor I've been working with. And she she works primarily with um, female entrepreneurs. Her name's Lorraine Murphy. She's Irish, but lives in um, Australia. Mm-hmm. And she she does kind of, um, she's got a very holistic view to building businesses. Um, I kind of tease and say, you know, she's all about the woo-woo as well as the business. So it's all about, yeah. you know, you know, spirituality and, um, you know, energies and that kind of thing. But um, it's right on the button. Um, and then one that I've just discovered, which is um, Kermode and Mayo's Take. Oh, yeah. Have you started listening to it? I haven't. I keep hearing adverts for it. Oh, and I keep so thinking good. I must listen to it because I love them both and I love Mark Mode. I know. And it, it's just such a nostalgic throwback yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, got into oh, that I will, one. I will add that to my very long podcast list. All right, well, we're going to end on this uh, juicy, uh, short conversation. Well, maybe it will be short. You know, the, it, it, taxation or philanthropy is your final question, which really is the, the concept of should we all pay more taxes and give it to the government and they'll sort it out? Or should we have some culture of philanthropy as well or instead of? Or because in Texas, for instance, they're quite good at philanthropy. We're absolutely fucking terrible at it in this country. But if you wind back history, the Greeks, or I'm not sure about the Greeks, but mm. I know. If you go I back don't in history, on the Greeks. No, no, I won't know. But you may be able to, they're often, uh, like the Navy would be paid for by a rich bloke. Basically, if you go back hundreds of years, how does stuff get paid? Well, some super rich bloke would be the sponsor of the Navy or I'm doing, you know, I do water polo. Or a know. couple of ships at least. A couple of ships, yeah. And that was philanthropy. That was the original concept that you've got loads of fucking money, mate. Help everyone out. And some would run hospitals or some would do or whatever. But now we've become reliant on the government so we don't think we should give. Anyway, it's a big question. Philanthropy what does come from the Greek, if that helps. And does it? Philos, love. I, be, I bet the Anthropos, Greeks. I bet the Greeks man. did do what I think if we look it up. That there were people who were responsible, and they were also the biggest dicks in town. As in, like, hey, he's the guy who runs the NHS, man. It's slightly you know, trickier because you can't really say that because there was no such thing as the Greeks. Oh right. It's lots and lots of city states. So, for example, Athens paid for its own navy out of a levy of the people of Athens. Okay. Right, but. The Spartans, for example, did something very different. Yeah. What What do you What, what do you feel? Do you feel that tax, we we should tax people more, or people should give more? So philanthropy, obviously, great thing. But what happens with those funds once they're contributed? Right. Our charities Otherwise, well run. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, or Big does question. it become at the whim of whatever rich individuals? Passion project. But are the government well run? You know, <laughs> I mean, we know the government are not well run. But the interesting thing is, is we, we're more, even more hesitant to give money to charity. And I, I, I agree that they're badly run. And are they, are they doing it? I you don't know, are see. They... I mean, I, I totally agree with your, the unspoken bit of your premise, which appears to be we need to get better at philanthropy in the UK. And I think yeah. we do. I think the problem at the moment is, unlike America, we don't have a history of it. And if we lowered taxes, nobody's going to go, oh, okay, now you've yeah. lowered my taxes. I'll give that money to... Actually, we know taxes I, need to go up. Sorry. You yeah, can... and I just, you know, broken as a lot of our government systems are right now, I do feel like there's more of a fighting chance that with an elected body who has policies that collectively believe in... If that worked in some semblance, you might have a more equitable distribution of funds and, you know, the good of society than if it was up to the whims of a rich individual as to where they were going to pop their billions that particular year. 
We're just scared to let you be in charge, though. That's the problem because we've got no point left. You know, that's it. We're at, you know, it's literally put the rubbish out and open the tins. But no, I mean, it, the, the point is, is I think I agree with you. Is that I oh, did, sorry, we, I just realised yeah. you meant we're scared to let women be in charge. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't quite, yeah, got it. No, I think I think it is right what you're saying because if you ask people about charities when there's someone I know used to work in it like, oh, but what about big charities? They just waste all the money. And then their response was, do you know when there's a massive crisis, there's only three organizations in the world that can deal with it. The Red Cross, that, you know, if you're talking about we've got 100,000 people, the only people with boats and fucking a navy, basically, to almost go and, you know, you've got some government. And so you say, I hate big charities, but arguably, yeah, you know, and then, and then they were saying, look at big business. You don't criticize big business that it wastes an enormous amount of money running itself, you know, and it is very inefficient, has all these people overpaid and everything. So it's a very complex question but I actually agree I do underneath it yes I think we should give more but then I think we think well what am I going to give to and I think I'm actually in a way underneath it that yeah if the government was you know I don't actually think the government is badly run as we, we like to criticise there's an awful lot of shit that still works in this country and in Australia you know if you compare it. but you know really you should give that that organisation should be better with more money to distribute the money fairly in a way because they that you need such a big machine to do it, it, you know. And I know that might be wildly naive and optimistic, but that should be the framework that makes the best and use of And you're an the accountant. Funds. You, like me, I actually believe in tax. It's like, yeah, tax. Just spend it properly. Yeah, just spend it properly. Spend it properly. That brings us to our favourite part of the show. You've done very well so far. This is when you're not going to do so well. Oh, awesome. We will have to pull the giant lever into the um, crocodiles. So here we go. Business versus bullshit quick fire round. D, cue the music. This is where we reel off key terms and you've got to tell us whether you think they are business or bullshit. All clear. Okay. Shall clear, you ready? clear. Diversity quotas. Business. Yeah, but you kind of thought bullshit a little bit. Just a little bit. No one can hear Diversity quotas, she said quite clearly there. Uh, stand up meetings. Ah, uh, bullshit. Have you ever done one? Oh, but... Have you had, had a meeting when you all stand up? Yes. I've never done it. It's fine yeah, if you've all got a drink in your hands. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I, I, I just think it's one of those things that kind of just, just got pushed to the. Like, you don't suddenly get this hyper efficiency of everybody stands in a circle. Especially when mm. someone's had a knee operation, you know. And they're, they're, they're in a Workplace lot of pain. bullying. Workplace bullying. <laughs> um, caffeine. Oh, business. Uh, Life. <laughs> <laughs> um, meeting agendas. Our oh, business. Hour-long meetings. Or longer. Ooh. The idea of meetings always an hour, because he's set it up as an hour. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. But that is pretty much how we all seem to operate, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um... Unless they're Americans. Anyway, office dogs. Oh, business. Oh. Uh, carbon credits. Oh, this is like the tax question. If it was done properly. Business. Business. Swearing in meetings. Business. Yeah. Especially in Australia. Pub lunches. Oh, business. Don't happen that much anymore, though, really? do they? Really? Oh, that is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, B Corps. You know B Corps? I do know B Corps. Business. Mm. Uh, NDAs. <laughs> 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 a 
agreed. <laughs> bullshit. I mean, honestly. They are bullshit. They, like, they are a little bit bullshit. Makes, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's meaningless. Yeah. It's hilarious to get one a professional, isn't it? I want you to sign this NDA. It's like, sure. Pretty much I thought I signed that in blood when I took this job. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what do you think I'm going to do with that? Uh, unlimited holidays. Or do you call them vacations in Australia, you annoying American uh, guys? Bullshit. Because bullshit. people don't do it. People don't do it. LinkedIn. Our business. Formal work clothes. Oh, bullshit. Brexit. Ugh. Really? <laughs> well, we're going to try One and find day, someone. Somebody will someone say business. business and I'll beat them to death. No, no, no. I will not be before, that person Before today. they beat you, there you beat them to death. Let's find out why and understand it. Maybe they've got really? a point. Do I have to? Then you can beat them to death. Okay. Just give it, give it the 10 minutes. Bullshit. Okay, very good. Um, excellent. That's the end of the quick fire. Yay. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, your podcast, your book, whatever you want to pitch. Whoa. Off you go. Okay. So I've talked a little about, a bit about the, the Lantern Partners business, but I've got kind of like a side passion project. Over, you know, the last 10 years, I've had so many... Yeah, people come to me to sort of say, look, how do I do the consulting thing myself? How, you know, how does it work? What does running your own business look like? So I've got a course coming out in August um, about teaching people how to do that. You're doing so, a course? Yeah. So You're writing a book? Come on, write a book. I might do, write you know. I might. Every, uh, yeah, everyone's got a book in them. She's literally written the book on X. <laughs> That's what you want yeah. the sentence you want to, to, be say. Able to say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're launching it in August um, and I've got a few amazing speakers kind of um, talking about different aspects of running your own business and, you know, the the mental energies and, um, you know, IP. And, mental energies, mm, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- it's, I think it, the whole mental preparation of starting your mm. own business is really, really important. And, you know, the managing your energy so that you don't get completely burnt out and ma- making sure you've got the right support networks around you and, you know, the who to listen to, who not to listen to. Your what personal kind of alcohol to have in your cupboard. <laughs> that is very important. Um, and, you know, just having those community networks and support networks as well as your personal networks and how important that is. So, yeah, we talk about all of those things. And top tip, you can cry with your accountant. <laughs> Anytime Always. you just want to explain Come it cry all, with me. Come cry. It's £250 <laughs> an hour, but we're some of the best cryers. You'll cry later. You'll cry later. <laughs> Okay, so Michelle, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way to do that is either to go to um, our website, um, www.lanternpartners.com.au, or you can find me on LinkedIn um, under Michelle Cavello, um, or on Instagram under Michelle Cavello. Very nice. So there you have it. That was this week's Business Without Bullshit. Thank you very much to Michelle for joining us, my co-host Pippa. And a big thank you to you, dear listener. We'll be back with BWP Extra on Thursday. Now it's ciao. Hold up. 